1: Storytelling is what connects us as humans, and for brands, it is no different. A well-told story can effectively position your brand in the minds and hearts of your audience, and can convert thoughts and feelings into results and revenue. On this show, we dive into the unique and recurring principles of world-class storytellers from every walk of life, to help you level up your storytelling skills and knowledge to drive real, measurable results for you and your organization. Here's your host, Paul
0: Furlong. Hello and welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. I'm Paul Furlong, Creative Director at Opus Media. Before we get started, I'd like to tell you about a special offer I've got for listeners to this podcast. Roger Shulman is a BAFTA-winning and Oscar-nominated writer who can bring Hollywood techniques to your screenplays, marketing copy, speeches or presentations. His coaching, tailored to you, will have a direct impact on selling your work persuading your target audience, and advancing your career. Roger's not an ordinary script doctor or editor. He's a certified coach. He's been a guest on this podcast, and I can tell you he knows his stuff and makes the process fun. Now here's the offer. Roger's first session is always free, but right now he's taking up to 25% off his most popular coaching packages. Go to thewritercoach.com to see how Roger can bring the Hollywood to your writing. And take advantage of this Christmas sale. That's thewritercoach.com. When the year ends, so does the sale. So right now, visit thewritercoach at thewritercoach.com. Today's guest is Ragnhild Lund Ansnes, Ronnie to her friends, a journalist, presenter, blogger, motivational speaker, and author. Hey, Ronnie, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I wonder if we could start with you telling me a little bit about you and what it is that you do.
2: Well, I grew up in the very north of Norway, up in the Arctic. We're talking hours and hours drive north of the Arctic Circle, where the sun never gets up in winter for two months and where the sun never sets in summer for two months. So, um, so excuse my accent, but that's, that's from, from my upbringing in Norway. Um, I have been a journalist and storytelling my whole life really. I was five the first time my mom told me that um, I said I'm going to be a writer and I used to before I could write, before I I literally knew how to write I would draw all these drawings put them together in a book and then I would force people to sit next to me (laughs) and and, and go through my my pictures with me and I would tell them the stories that went with the pictures and then uh, from there on I would just write and write and write but then television and um, radio caught me after I uh, had my journalistic degree. I've also studied some psychology which is very handy in both storytelling and in journalism and in writing. Um, and uh, one day I just didn't have any confidence anymore to write so I ended up being a presenter on the national radio in Norway with my own entertainment show four nights a week uh, after um, hunting down uh, hardcore news for television before that. Um, And through my radio show, I developed this technique where I would do portraits with really famous people. People that are a bit sort of too used to be interviewed in a way and sometimes a bit reluctant because it's a part of the job and it's another day of being interviewed and and studied sort of uh, publicly. So I would start interviewing all these famous people by talking with them through a subject. So I would learn more about a certain subject and then get to know more about that person, which would make the people take the guard down, these famous people, and open up. And this technique I used throughout ten years almost of my radio show and. Uh, I one day had a, a traumatic, traumatic, traumatic uh, honeymoon that forced me <laughs> into the, the, the art of writing football books. So there you go. <laughs> That's my background. What,
0: what was traumatic about the honeymoon?
2: <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, I used to always think football fans were, uh, okay, excuse me everyone I'm stepping on the toes on now, but I used to think all football fans were fat, 40 plus men, not very educated, very aggressive, swearing kind of guys, always with a beer glued to their hands, Um, probably not had a shower for a couple of days or five. (laughs) That was my image of a football fan and I thought from a journalistic perspective that football took up too much space in society, I thought, you know, as soon as as someone on the national uh, team uh, of football let out a little fart, it would be four pages in the biggest newspapers. Meanwhile you have these incredible bands recording these amazing albums or authors writing these awesome uh, books and then they would get like a tiny little note in the corner of the paper. So from my professional point of view, I always thought football was extremely overrated um, when I was younger. But then um, I met this man, this guitarist and music producer called Jostain. And I didn't realize how big of a fan he was of Liverpool Football Club and had been since he was a kid. Um, And if I'd known, I would never have married him because of my my sort of... uh, Look on on football, but um, I figured out uh, too late how crazy it's about Liverpool Football Club, and uh, I didn't really figure it out until our honeymoon. You see, do you want to tell? Do you want me to tell you what happened?
0: <laughs> you got looking, me intrigued now.
2: You're just <laughs> looking at me, going, "Where is she going with this?" Well, you picked
0: my curiosity.
2: Thank you. That's great. Well, you see, we were going to get married on the twenty first of May, two thousand and five. And at this point, you know, when you are in your 20s and trying to make a living out of your talent, I had four radio shows a week and then I would cover a lot of festivals, music festivals as well, um, as a host or a, a reporter, and my husband was touring Europe with his band and at the same time setting up his first recording studio, googling his way into how to build a recording studio. So we hardly never saw each other. Um, so I didn't realise how big of a fan he was of Liverpool Football Club. He would sometimes uh, catch a match in a pub, but then I thought he was just sort of getting that Saturday feeling. didn't realise it was urgent to him to see that game. Um, But then, when we were getting very close to our wedding, a certain final came up, and that was the Istanbul final. And um, Liverpool, as a lot of you listening to this now know, uh, Liverpool hadn't been in a final for, was it 20 or 21 years? And... um, problem for my my husband to be was that he had booked a honeymoon on that particular day. And we were not just flying to uh, Paris, we were flying across the world to Tobago, so he was missing the whole thing and he was devastated. But just to tell a a long story short, uh, I didn't get any kisses in the air. It was supposed to be, you know, you've seen all the Hollywood movies or the honeymoons, they're supposed to be the, the trip of a lifetime. Uh, He was just grumpy next to me in the seat, not even talking to me, basically. And I was thinking, what is this? Uh, So the anger was just growing inside me. Then we were let out um, on this tiny island called Illa Margarita, outside of Venezuela. Um, And as we walked into that pub, incredibly enough, the Istanbul final started in that little scruffy pub in the airport. So you got to see the first half. And he went from angry and moody to incredibly furious after Liverpool was 3-0 down. <laughs> and he just claimed in after the first half, that's it. The wedding, the, the, the honeymoon is ruined. I mean, hello. And then he walked to the gate. And while we're going through security, those three magical goals came in within six minutes while they were body searching us and going through our hand luggage and he didn't want to get on that plane. Um, I had to convince him to get on that plane, uh, and he had a friend telling him about everything going on on that game, because he was watching it on TV back home. Uh, And then he had to turn off his phone, and he was crushed. It's the first time I've seen him so pale. He wasn't hardly able to breathe, he was so upset, missing out on this second half of this big final. And I thought, oh my God, what have I married? But it gets worse. So we get the captain, actually, to update us on this game. So he flies us to Tobago, through second half, through both the extras, lands us straight before the penalty shootout. And what happens in that arrival hall in Tobago was one of those traumatic moments in life for me that made me quit my job as a presenter and start writing about something I really truly hated, football. <laughs> because my husband who's Norman, is normally such a calm together kind of guy. You know, he's a guitarist, he's not the lead singer, he likes to be a little bit in the background there. He just lost it. During that penalty shootout on the phone, he screamed, he kicked, you know, all ladies' hand luggage through were flying through the air. He was just absolutely a maniac. He was a monster with glassy eyes and totally like a zombie, walking around, um, and he was almost arrested. So I had to run over to security, explain the situation, AC Milan, Liverpool, Champions League final, and that's when I realised, just a little bit too late, my husband is a crazy, crazy Liverpool fan. He was sliding at this point on his knees along the concrete grey floor, while his voice was just hitting the white concrete walls while he was screaming yeah! That's when Liverpool won the Champions League for the fifth time and and actually got to keep the cup Um, and I just realised you know I've married a football team as well as this man I'm stuck with with this football team It's going to interfere with my life. If it can take such a big chunk out of such a big thing as my marriage, what else do I have coming up in my life to compete with these guys in Liverpool? So I decided I need to figure out what do football give the fans? What's the positive sides of football? And that made me start on this incredible journey that has been lasting me for 10 years now where I've written, first I did a documentary on on the effect of fans based on a thousand stories from fans on what Liverpool is doing to them. And then um, I wrote uh, two more books, one on how football is shaping the person behind the player based on 14 carefully selected Liverpool legends uh, from all the way back to Ian Callaghan up to Jamie Carragher. Uh, Ian Rush, John Barnes, all these amazing guys, Ian St. John. Um, and then, my most recent project was um, Liverpool Captains, where I looked at the middle management in football and interviewed the 16 biggest major captains still alive to look at leadership. Um, which was an incredible and a very ambitious journey because Half of these guys never give up interviews like that. Um, and then recently, I've just finished my first autobiography, this time in English, very scary. Um, Bruce Groblar's autobiography, Life in a Jungle. So that's me. Very good. What a
0: fantastic story that is. Thank you. And a, a great reason to switch careers, I suppose.
2: It just completely took me. And along the way, I went from being this objective on the outside journalist which was very essential for me to be able to do that first book. It took me three years to write Liverpool Hearts uh, and it became the first official Liverpool FC club book written in a foreign language and I was the first female um, in history to write an official book for Liverpool and I think for Premier League as well. So it was such a big leap from hating football to starting to get really interested in it until I got really charmed by the really, really strong stories and all the amazing storytellers out there who would, who would teach me that football is so much more than just entertainment and beer and aggression and lazy bumps uh, <laughs> on some bar chair <laughs> or in a seat in a stadium. It's just so much more. It's really about society and what we battle with and it's been a very interesting journey.
0: So tell me how important preparation is to telling the kind of stories that you tell.
2: Well, for me, when I moved into football, I don't I don't know how many books I read to um, catch up on a little bit of the knowledge, the history. You need to get your history right. You need to get the background right. Preparation, you know, you can't do enough pe- preparation really. If I'm doing a motivational talk and storytelling there, or if I do an interview, you've got to know your facts. You know, as soon as you start f- by failing in, in one of your questions, um, by, by by presenting some some wrong facts, you're doomed. You've lost the trust. So the more prepared you are uh, before you tell a story, the more credibility. And the more trust you will gain from your readers or your listeners or the guys or the, the people you interview. Um, so I went through so many books, some of them bored me to death. <laughs> I have to say, they're so alike, these football biographies, and so many of these fan books are very similar. Um, so, uh, which also inspired me. I thought, I'm definitely doing something different here. I definitely want to tell the stories in a different way because they were so factual based these football books and I wanted to tap more into the human perspective and what what happens between people in football and how people change in football rather than focus too much on on the facts around the go the goals and which other players were on, of course, that came into my stories as well. But that wasn't the main focus. My my focus was the person behind the player um, or the person behind the fan and how football in, in different ways shaped them. So um, you can't prepare yourself enough, really. But then again, it's important when you have prepared yourself really well to tell a story that you don't brag about your knowledge. Uh, so in an interview, to bring out stories from people, to create. Um, don't sit there and throw around all the knowledge you know just to sort of tell the world how much you've read because that's just gonna kill the story that you're after. You just need that that knowledge as a safety net to ask the right and the cool questions to create these universes of amazing stories. But don't sit there and just babble on about all all this knowledge you have actually spent all this time um, achieving. Because what annoys me the most in football journalism and in sports journalism and in music journalism is if if you listen to how journalists often ask their questions they just want to analyze the game or the album or the song or brag about the knowledge instead of asking these open questions to get the interesting answers for their stories.
0: So once you've done the preparation and the reading and the research that you need to ask the questions, what preparation do you do to take the answers that you've had to then put it into the book to to further tell that story?
2: I always listen through the interview a couple of times, it's really nice to just put them on the air and then do a hike, in nature if possible. Um, Just listen to it, I did that with the Liverpool Captain's book, I took all these interviews with me, hiked a new interview every day, hiked while I listened to it, twice, a long hike, and then when I got back I just sat down and wrote sort of the essence of the story, because then you know what's been gripping you the most, what you really sort of, you, you can feel straight away uh, where in a story it's it's going to make other people's emotions um, run as well. And that's that's what a good story needs to do. You need to write or tell a story that make other people feel something, think something, or maybe even do something. And in order to do that, you need to find these sort of special special little stories within the the big interview that will will do that, that will create those emotions and will create that interest and um, enthusiasm, really. If it's a really sad story or if it's a really funny one or if it's a really interesting one, you need to just take that time to listen to it all and feel it yourself and you can feel it straight away, and and then you you use that as a starting point. And you can even work in patches. What I always do then, which is a bit of a killer, really, but I really like to quote people how they talk. Uh, I really want the people I interview to recognise the way they talk in my texts. So I always sit there and do this terrible transcription job after I've listened to the whole thing and made some keywords. I sit down and then I just type it all out, which is horrible. But then I always put out little exclamation marks. The more I do in front of a topic, you know, the better it is. And I just know that this one must be in my story. So I sort of sorted then again, uh, because then you can discover other things when you go so into detail. And then you might discover things you need to follow up. So you make little stars in your in your um, script and then and then I think I work really intuitionally in terms of order. I never ever ever I never ever ever write out questions when I do interviews. Uh because I like the natural flow of a conversation. So I would do these crazy mind maps. I'll show you one here. I, I did I did a live show with um, Bruce Grobelar and um, Neville Southall in the Epstein Theatre the other night. And um, and then I just have these crazy sort of little circles with a name in the middle. And then I might have some facts so I don't mess up the facts. I might just have some, here we go. We just have some, some keywords in this. So it's, it's almost like a sun. <laughs> so you've got the topic or the name inside that, that, that big, big circle. And then I, I branch out to all these under sort of themes and little facts that I want to cover along that conversation. Uh, but I won't. I won't follow it. I'll just you know when, whenever there is a, a stop in the in the natural stop in the flow of the conversation, I will then bring in another ray of that sunshine or this mind map and 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 bring it up. Um, and then at the very end of the interview, I just have a little quick look through my sunshine and see if I've missed a ray or two. Remember when you grow up without any sunshine, you want to catch any ray you can (laughs) later in life. (laughs) So um, that's how I work. I think a lot of people when they do interviews, they're too keen on remembering to to ask all these cool uh, questions that they've thought out and prepared. So they forget to listen. I think the best, the best advice I can give if you want to create a good story through an interview is to spend most of your effort listening to what the person says and then follow up from there. I get so frustrated often if I sit and listen to a live interview on radio or TV and the most obvious follow-up questions come along, but the, the, the host or the interviewer, they, they just don't follow it. Up because they're so keen on on asking the next cool question that they've worked on the wording on Um, so they just miss the main story where everybody would like that put that interviewer to go Um, yeah so that's that's how I work in in uh, during my interviews really and I think one of the my secrets because I don't know why but every single time I interview a famous person in depth, like now we're talking hours of interviewing, maybe anything from one to four hours I do with these footballers. They will cry at some point. All of them will cry, or dry up a little tear or, and laugh. And almost all of them will at some point say to me, I've never told this to anyone before, but, and then you just know, here we go. And that is all about building trust in your interview. Um, and I guess it's my little X factor, but I don't don't think it's only that. I think it's because I listen, because I'm prepared, because I make sure that the interview is in a in a comfortable place. I've been up at the top of the West Tower, the highest building in in Liverpool, a few times, because it's something about having that that view when you think and you talk. It just calms your mind and sort of opens your your memory lane a little bit Um, I try to find places that is uh, cozy if I can but not too noisy so you need to have that quiet space but you don't want it to be like being inside a tin (laughs) Um, but then I also think one of my secrets is that I share a little bit of myself during that interview so I'm a little bit more than just an interviewer or an author when I'm there. I'm also maybe a mom or a supporter um, or someone who's lost their parents early. Like that might be the theme in this particular interview. Um, I might be that one who also lost a friend in suicide. And I'm not afraid of saying that if that's a part of the interview. I share of my experiences as well. I don't bombade bombard. Sorry, the 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 person I interview with my my stories, but I give out a little bit to make them aware that I am a person, and I know what they're talking about. I think I think a lot of us are too afraid of being personal. It's a big difference between being private and personal. You should never be private when you work, uh, and by being private, it's like saying too much, you know, to an extent where it's it's not a part of, of of what you're trying to achieve here. But being personal is about showing where you're coming from, sharing some of your experiences, sharing a little bit of your emotions, and that way it opens up this trust and this um really heartfelt conversations that I need to do my human-based stories within in the world of football.
0: And you're moving on now away from football on your next project. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Oh yeah, that's such an exciting project. I'm going to gather um, the strongest stories of the South Samis. And the South Samis, they are um, a small native people in Norway. Sami's are the ones that originally herded reindeer, and they have these really colourful costumes. They have their total different language, and they are nomad. They they were and they still are some of them nomadic. So so they move across Russia, Sweden, Finland, and Norway, um, and they move the reindeer w- within the seasons for them to f- to feed. Um, but you've got two different ones. You've got the North Samis, which are the famous ones, and there are quite a few. And then you've got the South Samis, and they've got a totally different um, costume and different language, and there are only 2,000 remaining. And, and they are a dying culture. Their language is now on UNESCO's list of dying um, languages. And the suicide rate among young South Samis are horrendous. So they struggle to find their place and they are spread over such a much bigger uh, geographical um, area than the North Samis. So they're not many in each place and they've gone through a lot of bullying and, and it's, it's really tough for them. So um, my mission now is to to uh, interview in depth a big variety, a huge span of, of different types of South Samis into this book. Um, to sh- make the world aware of their battles, but also their victories um, and their thoughts and their values. Because I think in our society today, we've, we've bought so much, we've we've spent so much, we've been so buying-orientated, or, um, and, and we've lost a little bit of our core values, you know, being close to nature, looking after our family members, not caring too much about money but you know looking after things and not having too many things and but but what we have are really proper things and and the samis also are really um focused on not making any damages to nature living in pack with nature um so they've got a lot to tell us because they're coming from a tradition we once came from too before we got so modernized and um and all our technological revolutions kicked in. Um, and I think a lot of us long a bit more of that, that's, that. those values because we pushed ourselves too hard and we're too fragmented and we're too lonely now. Um, so my hope is that this book can make more people aware of the minorities uh, and make people aware that there are minorities even in this rich little oil country of Norway. Um, through this book so in this project it's, it's really challenging too because they are known as to be a very quiet people. So I've already been traveling and meeting them and, and some of these, especially the girls, these young girls are so strong they're so intelligent, they're so inspirational so I've just come home from my first week of interviews and I just said to my husband this book will be the most important project I ever do
0: and so with the Samis there's obviously a language barrier there you had a language barrier when you wrote your first book in English so you're well positioned to talk about how important language is when telling stories can you talk about that a little bit and the importance of language when, when telling a, a good story.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's about not being too complicated. It's about saying one thing at a time. A lot of the time we've got so much on our hearts, so we we start with one thing and then we continue with something else and we never really finish a story. So we branch out in all directions because we we we're too enthusiastic about uh the story we want to get out, so we just need to, to say one thing at a time, I think. And um, that was a really good exercise for me when I wrote uh, Bruce Grobelar's autobiography because all my books, the interviews have been in English, so all the raw material has been in English. And I've I've lived so many years now in, in English-speaking countries, so I thought, you know, I'm ready for that next step. I'll, I'll do this. But writing literature <laughs> is a total different thing than uh, writing blogs, because I've been blogging for years also in English. And... Um, and it felt like it felt like I was swimming on deep water, and I swam and I swam and I swam, and it just took so much longer <laughs> to swim the distance. Oh, it was uh, it was a very hard exercise. But uh, the, the good thing about it was that I know from my Norwegian writing and from my radio time that it's all about talking or writing in short sentences. You know, instead of moving into these really complicated long sentences that you, you, your thoughts get lost in. You know, the reader will start thinking about what am I having for dinner today in the middle of a sentence because you never get to the point. So I think that helped me a lot and I think no matter what language you, you use, keep it simple, don't try to be too fancy. If you want to communicate to people, uh, write uh, or talk like you talk to a friend. Uh, When you you communicate and you write something, think about that you write this to your auntie. And it, it sounds probably maybe even stupid, but it really works. And then you can pimp it up with some cool little fancy words, throw them in here and there afterwards. But while you write, while you tell that story, do it, make it flow. Write it as you would have written it to your friend and then push it up a little after if you like
0: i like that so of all of the knowledge that you have around storytelling of all the things we've talked about here or maybe something that we've not talked about when we're thinking about businesses telling stories to sell more what would be the main piece of advice you would give to someone who is thinking about putting a story together to go into maybe a sales meeting or to sell an idea what the one piece of advice be that you would give
2: I think you really need to show where you're coming from. You need to show your true values. You need to show what you stand for or what the product stands for or what the business stands for or what your staff stands for. Um, show, show the values and the people behind the product or the, or the firm or the, or the business because that will buy you loyalty. Because if, 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 it's rather, if you rather buy a value or real people rather than just just a a thing or a product, um, people would love that a lot more. You know, if you know that this this company really supports this and that, and it's very good for for the world, and you, you manage to communicate that, I would buy that. If it's between two different computers, and I know that Apple is supporting Africa, and, and water um, shortage. Let's. This is just like a silly example. Uh, I will go for Apple rather than Samsung. You know, if you can if you can manage to to show the real people or the values behind, I think that's a great starting point. And then build stories around that, or build stories around what sort of values that product or that company brings to people. How do th- that product or this business make people's lives better, core values that everybody will recognize because it's important to every single one of us and it's really easy because we all need the basic needs fulfilled. So obviously if you if you see an ad with a child, lost, homeless, can't find his or her parents it's going to affect us because we all need to have those basic, basic uh, needs in that Maslow uh, pyramid covered. But then when you come further up in the, in the pyramid, we all need, and it's so simple as well, we all need to feel appreciated. We all need to feel seen and we all need to feel loved. So if your business can make commercials or ads that can make their customers feel appreciated, seen and loved, You've got the bullseye.
0: So, just a couple of quick-fire questions for you, Mm -hmm. if that's okay, Ronnie. Who do you think of when you hear the word story, and why?
2: Roald Dahl, because he has just made millions of children expand their imagination and. their love for books and if you don't read in this generation coming up now after us that's going to be the biggest gap between who succeed and not because um, all the moms and dads around now, I think I'm not the only one, will always fight the kids in terms of how much time you spend on your screens uh, and I force <laughs> my kids to read and they poor things need to read in both English and Norwegian because they can't forget their, their mother language Um, native language sorry Um, and I tell them that when you are going to no matter what you want to do in life if you want to become a good salesman if you want to become a head of a firm or if you want to become a lawyer or if you want to become a doctor or if you want to become a business developer or a footballer you need to be good at talking, you need to be good at storytelling because that will make you be the one they choose over another one if you can present yourself or if you can sell your ideas well uh, you'll win the race so roald Dahl for sure
0: and do you have a particular
2: favorite oh there are so many charlie and the chocolate factory i think is uh definitely one of my favorites but also george is it called uh, Magical Medicine in, in English? Yeah, uh,
0: George Mar- Marvelous Medicine. Marvelous
2: Medicine, yeah. Because it's just so insane, crazy. It's just like... <laughs> but, you know, um, no, there's so many good ones. And they're so... Uh, and what you call them in English, the, 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 the big happy giant, the, the big friendly... BFG, BFG yeah. 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 Crazy how all these, mo- uh, these big giants just wander around at night and eat children. <laughs> and then you end up... <laughs> Having having Dining with the Queen, um, it's just, you know, it, I just wish more people could think bo- like borderless when they tell stories, think outside the box. It's, it's a cliche I know, but, but really try to push the limits a little bit, because if you do something a bit crazy, people will notice it.
0: And can you recommend any great books, websites, blogs, Podcast, maybe about storytelling and where we can learn to be better storytellers?
2: Oh, God. Um, I wish I'd known that uh, question beforehand. Where, where would we go then? Um, I think actually the main thing is to read good authors, uh, non fiction, no, sorry, fiction, uh, because they just do it so well. And if you're into crime, they're probably the best storytellers of them all. I'm not too too keen on crime because I think there's enough miserable uh, news in the real world uh, to pick up on all these horrific uh, killing, uh, fictional killings. But they do the best, they, they are the best storytellers. When I was going to learn how to write from being a radio and, and, and um, TV presenter, um, I asked one of Norway's best crime writers to be my consultant and to teach me how to write because he mastered that art of holding back, giving a little bit, holding back, giving a little bit more, holding back, and then just sort of dragging you through a story. Uh, so I would, yeah, I would recommend reading crime hmm. if, if you're into that sort of... you
0: well, do you know, you can, you can tell that you're... Great at that because you did that right at the beginning with the story. At the very start, you kept me curious all the way through to the point where you even said to me, Do you want me to carry on? <laughs> and, I, and I had to know how that story yeah. ended with your honeymoon. So um, you can tell that, that you're excellent. You can clearly tell that you're an excellent storyteller, but that holding that little bit of um, holding back and keeping the audience curious is. Uh, is Those
2: cliffhangers, cliffhangers, as we say. Yeah.
0: Clearly something that you've got going for you. And finally, where can we find out more about you? Uh, where can we find you online? Where can we where can we get hold of your books?
2: Well, I'm working with a publisher called De Kubertin, so you can find them my books, my my two latest ones, Life in a Jungle with Bruce Groblar and My Liverpool Captains. It's just now out in paperback, which is so cool. It's my first paperback, which means it's been selling really well. I I, I was terrified when I published that in English because it was like a big sort of debut in England even though my Liverpool um, FC Heroes came out a few years before um, this was like my big sort of big debut because the Heroes one came out just as my publisher ended the contract with LFC now they got it back again so they were so heartbroken so they only published one print <laughs> so I got me a sort of a little bit sort of in the in the middle of nowhere but um, I remember it was just at this time of year, just before Christmas, and the Liverpool Echo made a list of the best sports books of 2016, I think it was, uh, when my hardback came out in England. And my, my book made, it, made that, that short list. Um, that was such an incredible proud feeling That was like just made my Christmas that year because I, I think I even cried a little bit because there are not many females doing what I'm doing and I truly believe that we need to bring different color and personalities into sports writing um, and also um, other aspects of business management etc um, so that was a that was a very 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 cool uh, Mid December a couple of years ago, <laughs> when they, they they rated it outstanding. Um, so yeah, you can you can grab that book at decubatine.co.uk or at Amazon really. Liverpool captains and uh, life in the jungle. Can and you spell
0: decubatine for us?
2: Yeah, it's d e c o uh, u uh, c i n. Yeah. Thank you. And then um, I am about to uh, launch a blog. So that will be a worldwide Liverpool supporters blog. And that will be called liverpoolhearts.co.uk. But that will just come out in the new year sometime in January. And before that, you can find me on Twitter as Mrs. Like M-R-S. And then just number one and then nil. So Mrs. One-Nil. This is a nickname I got from one of the ex players of Liverpool who couldn't pronounce this crazy Rangenhild Rangenhill name. Uh, but then we proved on Tuesday uh, that 1 0 is more than enough to continue in the Champions League, so never mind. And then I am uh, Liverpool Hearts on Instagram.
0: Excellent. Well, Ronnie, it's been great talking to you today. Thank you very much. Thank you and, for having uh, I'll me. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Mm-hmm.
1: Cheers. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All the World. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show and visit weareopusmedia.com for more resources based on today's topic as well as access to more episodes that will help you develop your storytelling abilities. That's weareopusmedia.com Thank you and see you next time.